Thank you for downloading a sermon from the Chapel of the Cross. The Chapel of the Cross is a welcoming, growing, and historic Episcopal Church in Madison, Mississippi. I hope you will join us on Sundays for worship at 7.30 a.m., 8.45 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m., with Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. I also invite you to connect with the chapel online at chapelofthecrossms.org. Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. We pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts. Bless us, direct us, and send us out living letters of the word. Amen. Please be seated. Since I'm not from around here, one of the best explorations of the heart of a Mississippian I have read is this book, Being Dead is No Excuse, The Official Southern Lady's Guide to Hosting the Perfect Funeral. I was honored to meet one of the authors earlier this year at a baptism here at the chapel, and she shared a little secret with me that the original title of Being Dead was Being Dead is No Excuse for Store-Bought Mayonnaise. (laughs) But unfortunately, the publisher, also not from around here, decided to cut it down. And if you have not made the mayonnaise according to the recipe in this book, you are missing out on some sublime deliciousness. There is a jar in my Frigidaire as we speak. I want to read two paragraphs for you. While we celebrate weddings, christenings, birthdays, and other milestones with food, everyone knows that the death cooking is our very best. When Nelia Boswick's husband, Andrew, died in California, she said that the worst thing about it was missing all the good cooking. And missing Andy, too, of course. (laughs) Southern funeral food won't bring back the dead. In fact, it's so rich, it may be food to die from. Delta funeral cooking is two-tiered. There's the haute funeral food, which includes aspics, homemade mayonnaise, and dainty homemade rolls. The second tier is dishes that are Campbell's soup-based. Velveeta cheese, almond slivers, French fried canned onions, and Ritz crackers are other defining ingredients. If you go too long without a funeral, your body may go into goo withdrawal syndrome. There's a lot going on there. And besides being hilarious, they say a lot. Say something about how people love each other, how they embrace each other, around life's milestones, how we lift up our hearts to one another, how we show one another hospitality. Put a pin in hospitality for a moment. We will get back to it after a short detour. I want to mention another book this morning, one I have mentioned before, and I apologize for repeating myself. It's one of the classics of pop psychology and pop spirituality, The Five Love Languages, by the Reverend Gary Chapman. In his book, Chapman outlines in broad terms the way people show love for one another. According to him, his his five languages are giving gifts, spending quality time, words of affirmation, 
acts of service and physical touch. And we can easily guess what those five might entail. Giving gifts is giving gifts, giving material things to the other. Spending time is carving out a portions of one day and purposefully and intentionally enjoying that time with the other. Words of affirmation are verbal or written expressions of affection or praise. Acts of service are doing things for one another, washing the dishes, mowing the yard, painting a room. If you heard Will's last two sermons, we might conclude that he is an acts of service kind of guy. And finally, physical touch is obviously physical touch. And these are generalizations, of course. But they are useful because it can help two people who are in a relationship see how deeply they love each other even when they themselves don't see it. Because sometimes when people utilize two different languages, they inadvertently fail to see how the other is sharing their feelings. If I desire words of affirmation, but only receive material gifts, I might feel unloved even if a partner just gave me something really fancy. Obviously, there are much more complex and nuanced ways we share our feelings with family and friends. And while these five provide a a good launch pad, I reckon we could come up with 50 or so love languages. And the best, I think, and perhaps the most evocative, is, going back to our original topic, hospitality. Hospitality is an ancient concept. The Greeks believed that hospitality was a sign of being civilized. The Egyptians believed that hospitality guaranteed hospitality for ourselves in the next life. The Romans believed that entertaining strangers was a sacred duty. These sentiments are echoed in Judaism. Deuteronomy 10.19, You shall love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Or in today's epistle to the Hebrews, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Customs around hospitality were rooted not only in kindness, but in necessity. Day-to-day life was full of uncertainty, especially while traveling. And even the most comfortable could find themselves needing assistance. How different would our history be if Helen Johnstone hadn't shown hospitality to Henry Vick on that rainy night so many years ago? Hospitality can mean survival. So with that in mind, we turn to today's gospel. No one is in peril at this moment. On the contrary, Jesus and his friends have been invited to a dinner party at the head Pharisee's house. But that is a situation that was undoubtedly fraught with dangers of a different sort. The dinner party, then and now, contains certain protocols, certain do's and don'ts, a liturgy between guest and host. And a situation that is exacerbated in this circumstance because many of the Pharisees' guests are trying to garner his favor. Jesus observes the scene. Guests jockeying for position, diners behaving like children playing musical chairs, attempting to get the best seat by any means necessary. And Jesus, being Jesus, is reminded of those who do not have such a feast set before them. 
And he says, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. For true hospitality is not a mere kindness. It is more than an act of service. It is more than an insurance policy taken out so that you will be on the receiving end of hospitality when your time comes. Hospitality is an opening of the self. It is welcoming someone into not only your home or your church, but into your heart and saying, here I am. I put out the good china and made mama's cheese straws, but I'm also just me, warts and all. I want to be your friend. I want to be in communion with you. I want to be, to paraphrase Mr. Rogers, your neighbor. Hospitality, true hospitality involves then some risk, some vulnerability. What if we risked more? What if we were vulnerable more? What if we showed hospitality not only when we invited friends to dinner or not only when we welcomed our community onto our campus for day in the country, but what if we showed hospitality everywhere? What if we showed hospitality at the grocery store? What if we showed hospitality in the carpool line? What if we showed hospitality when someone starts talking about politics? What if we tore down all the protective layers that have calcified around our souls and got real with one another? And what if when we, what if when we got real, we still loved that person no matter what? I think the world would be changed, one casserole at a time. Amen.